The Star Mouse by Frederick Brown. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by The Gribschnobbler. The Star Mouse by Frederick Brown. Robinson Crusoe, Gulliver, Paul Bunyan. The story of their adventures is nothing compared to the saga of Mitki. Mitki, the mouse, wasn't Mitki then. He was just another mouse who lived behind the floorboards and plaster of the house of the great Herr Professor Oberberger, formerly of Vienna and Heidelberg, then a refugee from the excessive admiration of more powerful of his fellow countrymen. The excessive admiration had concerned not Herr Oberberger himself, but a certain gas which had been a byproduct of an unsuccessful rocket fuel, which might have been a highly successful something else. If, of course, the professor had given them the correct formula, which he, well, anyway, the professor had made good his escape and now lived in a house in Connecticut. And so did Mitki. A small gray mouse and a small gray man. Nothing unusual about either of them. Particularly, there was nothing unusual about Mitki. He had a family and he liked cheese, and if there were Rotarians among mice, he, he would have been a Rotarian. The Herr Professor, of course, had his mild eccentricities. A confirmed bachelor, he had no one to talk to except himself, but he considered himself an excellent conversationalist and held constant verbal communion with himself while he worked. That fact, it turned out later, was important, because Mitki had excellent ears and heard those night-long soliloquies. He didn't understand them, of course. If he thought about them at all, he merely thought of the professor as a large and noisy supermouse who squeaked overmuch. Und now, he would say to himself, we will see whether this exhaust tube was properly machined. It should fit within one one hundred thousandth of an inch. Ah, it is perfect. Und now, night after night, day after day, month after month, the gleaming thing grew, and the gleam in Herr Oberberger's eyes grew apace. It was about three and a half feet long, with weirdly shaped veins, and it rested on a temporary framework on a table in the center of the room that served the Herr Professor for all purposes. The house in which he and Mitki lived was a four-room structure, but the Professor hadn't yet found it out, seemingly. Originally, he had planned to use the big room as a laboratory only, but he found it more convenient to sleep on a cot in one corner of it, when he slept at all, and to do the little cooking he did over the same gas burner over which he melted down golden grains of TNT into a dangerous soup, which he salted and peppered with strange condiments, but did not eat. And now I shall bore it into tubes, and see whether one tube adjacent to another explodes the second tube when the first tube is. That was the night Mitki almost decided to move himself and his family to a more stable abode one that did not rock and sway and try to turn handsprings on its foundations, but Mitki didn't move after all because there were compensations. New mouse holes all over, and joy of joy, a big crack in the back of the refrigerator where the professor kept, among other things, food. Of course, the tubes had been not larger than capillary size, or the house would not have remained around the mouse holes. And, of course, Mitki could not guess what was coming, nor understand the Herr Professor's brand of English, nor any other brand of English for that matter, or he would not have let even a crack in the refrigerator tempt him. The Professor was jubilant that morning. 
The fuel, it works. The second tube, it did not explode. Und the worst, incestions, as I had expected. Und it is more powerful. There will be plenty of room for the compartment. Ah, yes, the compartment. That was where Mitki came in, although even the professor didn't know it yet. In fact, the professor didn't even know that Mitki existed. Und now, he was saying to his favorite listener, it is but a matter of combining their fuel tubes so they work in opposite bears. And then, that was the moment when the Herr Professor's eyes first fell on Mitki. Rather, they fell upon a pair of gray whiskers and a black, shiny little nose protruding from a hole in the baseboards. Well, he said, what have we here? Mitki Mouse himself. Mitki, how would you like to go for a ride next week? We shall see. That is how it came about that the next time the professor sent into town for supplies, his order included a mouse trap, Not one of the vicious kind that kills, but one of the wire cage kind. And had not been set with cheese for more than ten minutes before Mitki's sharp little nose had smelled out that cheese and he had followed his nose into captivity. Not, however, in unpleasant captivity, Mitki was an honored guest. The cage reposed now on the table at which the professor did most of his work, and cheese in indigestion-giving abundance was pushed through the bars, and the professor didn't talk to himself anymore. You see, Mitki, I was going to send to the laboratory in Hartford for a white mouse, but why should I meet you here? I am sure you are more sound and healthy and able to withstand a long journey than those laboratory mices, no? Ah, you wiggle your whiskers, and that means yes, no? Und being used to living in dark holes, you should suffer less than they from claustrophobia, no? And Mitki grew fat and happy and forgot all about trying to get out of the cage. I fear that he even forgot about the family he had abandoned. But he knew, if he knew anything, that he need not worry about them in the slightest. At least not until and unless the professor discovered and repaired the hole in the refrigerator. And the professor's mind was most emphatically not on refrigerators. And so, Mitki, we shall place this vein so it is only of assistance into landing in an atmosphere. It and these will bring you down safely and slowly enough that the shock absorbers in their movable compartment will keep you from bumping your head too hard, I think. Of course, Mitki missed the ominous note to that, I think, qualification because he missed all the rest of it. He did not, as has been explained, speak English. Not then. But Herr Oberberger talked to him just the same. He showed him pictures. Did you ever see the mouse you was named after Mitki? What? No. Look, this is the original Mitki mouse by Walt Disney. But I think you are cuter, Mitki. Probably the professor was a bit crazy to talk that way to a little gray mouse. In fact, he must have been crazy to make a rocket that worked. But the odd thing was that the Herr Professor was not really an inventor. There was, as he carefully explained to Mitki, not one single thing about that rocket that was new. The Herr Professor was a technician. He could take other people's ideas and make them work. His only real invention, the rocket fuel that wasn't one, had been turned over to the United States government and had proved to be something already known and discarded because it was too expensive for practical use. As he explained very carefully to Mitki, it is purely a matter of absolute accuracy and mathematical correctness, Mitki. It is all here. We merely combine and we achieve what, Mitki? Eggscape velocity, Mitki. Just barely it adds to eggscape velocity, maybe. 
There are yet unknown factors, Mitki. Either upper atmosphere, the troposphere, the stratosphere. We think we know exactly how much air there is to calculate resistance against, but are we absolutely sure? No, Mitki, we are not. We have not been there. Und the margin is so narrow that so much as an air current might affect it. But Mitki cared not a whit. In the shadow of the tapering aluminum alloy cylinder, he waxed fat and happy. Der tag, Mitki, der tag! Und I shall not lie to you, Mitki. I shall not give you false assurances. You go on a dangerous journey, my little friend. A fifty-fifty chance we give you, Mitki. Not der moon or bust, but der moon und bust. Or else, maybe, safely back to Earth. You see, my poor little Mitki, der moon is not made of green cheese, und if it were, you would not live to eat it because there is not enough atmosphere to bring you down safely, und with your whiskers still on. And why then, you may well ask, do I send you? Because the rocket may not attain escape velocity. And in that case, it is still an experiment, but a different one. The rocket, if it goes not to the moon, falls back on the earth, no? And in that case, certain instruments shall give us further information than we have yet about things up there in space. And you shall give us information, by whether or not you are yet alive whether the shock absorbers and veins are sufficient in an Earth-equivalent atmosphere. You see? Then later, when we send rockets to Venus, maybe where an atmosphere exists, we shall have data to calculate the needed size of veins and shock absorbers, no? And in either case, and whether or not you return, Mitki, you shall be famous. You shall be the first living creature to go out beyond the atmosphere of the Earth, out into space. Mitki, you shall be the star mouse. I envy you, Mitki, and I only wish I were your size, so I could go too. The tag and the door to the compartment. Goodbye, little Mitki mouse. Darkness, silence, noise. The rocket, if it goes not to the moon, falls back onto Earth, no? That was what the Herr Professor thought. But the best laid plans of mice and men gang after Glay even star mice, all because of Prixel. The Herr Professor found himself very lonely. After having had Midki to talk to, soliloquies were somehow empty and adequate. There may have been some who say that the company of a small gray mouse is a poor substitute for a wife, but others may disagree. And anyway, the Professor had never had a wife, and he had a mouse to talk to, so he missed one. And if he missed the other, he didn't know it. During the long night after the launching of the rocket, he had been very busy with his telescope. A sweet little 8-inch reflector, checking its course as it gathered momentum. The exhaust explosions made a tiny, fluctuating point of light that was possible to follow. If one knew where to look. But the following day there seemed to be nothing to do, and he was too excited to sleep, although he tried. So he compromised by doing a spot of housekeeping cleaning the pots and pans. It was while he was so engaged that he heard a series of frantic little squeaks and discovered that another small gray mouse, with shorter whiskers and a shorter tail than Mitki, had walked into the wire cage mousetrap. Well, well, said the professor. What have we here? Minnie? Is it Minnie come to look for her Mitki? The professor was not a biologist, but he happened to be right. It was Minnie. Rather, it was Mitki's mate, so the name was appropriate. What strange vagary of mind had induced her to walk into an unbaited trap the professor neither knew nor cared. But he was delighted. 
He promptly remedied the lack of bait by pushing a sizable piece of cheese through the bars. Thus it was that Minnie came to fill the place of her far-traveling spouse as repository for the professor's confidences. Whether she was worried about her family or not, there is no way of knowing, but she need not have done so. They were now large enough to fend for themselves, particularly in a house that offered abundant cover and easy access to the refrigerator. Ah, and now it is dark enough, Minnie, that we can look for that husband of yours, his wiry trail across the sky. True, Minnie, it is a very small fiery trail, and the astronomers will not notice it, because they do not know that look, but we do. He is going to be a very famous mouse, Minnie, this Mitki of yours. Then we tell the world about him, and about mine rocket. You see, Minnie, we have not told them yet. We shall wait, and give the complete story all at once. By dawn of tomorrow, we'll... Ah, there he is, Minnie, wait... But, but there, I told you up to the scope to let you look, but it would not be focused right for your eyes. And I do not know how to. Almost 100,000 miles, Minnie, would still accelerating, but not for much longer. Our Mitki is on schedule. In fact, he is going faster than we figured, no? It is sure now that he will escape the gravitation of the Earth and fall upon the moon. Of course, it was purely coincidental that Minnie squeaked. Ah, yes, Minnie, little Minnie, I know, I know. We shall never see our Mitki again, and I almost wish our experiment had failed. But there are compensations, Minnie. He shall be the most famous of all mices, the star mouse, first living creature ever to go beyond the gravitational bull of earth. The night was long. Occasionally high clouds obscured vision. Minnie, I shall make you more comfortable. Than in that so small wire cage, you would like to seem to be free, would you not? Without bars, like the animals at modern zoos, beat moats instead? And so, to fill in an hour when a cloud obscured the sky, the Herr Professor made Minnie her new home. It was the end of a wooden crate, about half an inch thick and a foot square, laid flat on the table and with no visible barrier around it. But he covered the top with metal foil at the edges, and he placed the board... Another larger board, which also had a strip of metal foil surrounding the island of Minnie's home, and wires from the two areas of metal foil to opposite terminals of a small transformer which he placed nearby. And now, Minnie, I shall place you on your island, which shall be liberally supplied with cheese and water, and you shall find it is an excellent place to live. But you will get a mild shock or two when you try to step off the edge of the island. It will not hurt much, but... You will not like it, and after a few tries, you will learn not to try again, no? Und. And night again. Minnie, happy on her island, her lesson well learned, she would no longer so much as step on the inner strip of metal foil. It was a mouse paradise of an island, though. There was a cliff of cheese bigger than Minnie herself. It kept her busy. Mouse and cheese. Soon, one would be a transmutation of the other. But Professor Oberberger wasn't thinking about that. The professor was worried. When he had calculated and recalculated and aimed his 8-inch reflector through the hole in the roof and turned out the lights. Yes, there are advantages to being a bachelor after all. If one wants a hole in the roof, one simply knocks a hole in the roof and there is nobody to tell one that one is crazy. If winter comes or if it rains, one can always call a carpenter or use a tarpaulin. But the faint trail of light wasn't there. The professor frowned and recalculated and re-recalculated and shifted his telescope three-tenths of a minute, and still the rocket wasn't there. 
Any, something is wrong. Either the tubes have stopped firing or... Or the rocket was no longer traversing a straight line relative to its point of departure. By straight, of course, is meant parabolically curved relative to everything other than velocity. So the Herr Professor did the only thing remaining for him to do and began to search with the telescope in widening circles. It was two hours before he found it, five degrees off course already and veering more and more into a... Well, there was only one thing you could call it. A tailspin. The darned thing was going in circles. Circles which appeared to constitute an orbit about something that couldn't possibly be there. Then narrowing into a concentric spiral. Then, out. Gone. Darkness. No rocket flares. The professor's face was pale as he turned to Minnie. It is impossible, Minnie. Mine own eyes, but it could not be. Even if one side stopped firing, it could not have gone into such sudden circles. His pencil verified a suspicion. Und, Minnie, it decelerated faster than possible. Even with no tubes firing, its momentum would have been more. The rest of the night, telescope and calculus yielded no clue. That is, no believable clue. Some force not inherent in the rocket itself and not accountable by gravitation even of a hypothetical body, had acted. Mein poor Mitki. The gray, inscrutable dawn. Mein Mini, it will have to be a secret. We dare not publish what we saw, for it would not be believed. I am not sure I believe it myself, Mini. Perhaps because I was overtired from not sleeping. I just imagined that I saw... Later. But many, we shall hope, 150,000 miles out it was. It will fall back upon the earth, but I, I cannot tell there. I thought that if it did, I would be able to calculate its course, und? But after those concentric circles, many, not even Einstein could calculate where it will land. Not even me. All we can do is hope that we shall hear of where it falls. Cloudy day. Black night jealous of its mysteries. Mini. Our poor Mitki, that is nothing could have caused, but something had. Prixel. Prixel is an asteroid. It isn't called that by earthly astronomers because, for excellent reasons, they have not discovered it. So we shall call it by the nearest possible transliteration of the name its inhabitants use. Yes, its inhabitant. Come to think of it, Professor Oberberger's attempt to send a rocket to the moon had some strange results. Or rather, Prixel did. You wouldn't think that an asteroid could reform a drunk, would you? But one Charles Winslow, a besotted citizen of Bridgeport, Connecticut, never took a drink when, right on Grove Street, a mouse asked him the road to Hartford. The mouse was wearing bright red pants and vivid yellow gloves. But that was 15 months after the professor lost his rocket. <laughs> We'd better start over again. Prixel is an asteroid. One of those despised celestial bodies which terrestrial astronomers call vermin of the sky, because the darned things leave trails across the plates that clutter up the more important observations of Novae and Nebula. 50,000 fleas on the dark dog of night. Tiny things, most of them. Astronomers have been discovering recently that some of them come close to Earth. Amazingly close. 
There was excitement in 1932 when Amor came within 10 million miles astronomically, a mere mashy shot. Then Apollo cut that almost in half, and in 1936, Adonis came within less than one and a half million miles. In 1937, Hermes, less than half a million, but the astronomers got really excited when they calculated its orbit and found that the little mile-long asteroid can come within a mere 220,000 miles, closer than Earth's own moon. Someday, they may be still more excited, if and when they spot the three-eighth-mile asteroid Prixel, that obstacle of space, making a transit across the moon and discover that it frequently comes within a mere 100,000 miles of our rapidly whirling world. Only an event of a transit will they ever discover it, though. For Prixel does not reflect light. It hasn't, anyway, for several million years since its inhabitants coated it with a black, light-absorbing pigment derived from its interior. Monumental task painting a world for creatures half an inch tall, but worth it at the time. When they'd shifted its orbit, they were safe from their enemies. There were giants in those days, eight-inch-tall marauding pirates from Deimos. Got to Earth a couple of times, too, before they faded out of the picture. Pleasant little giants who killed because they enjoyed it. Records in now-buried cities on Deimos might explain what happened to the dinosaurs, and why the promising Cro-Magnons disappeared at the height of their promise only a cosmic few minutes after the dinosaurs went west. But Prixel survived. Tiny world no longer reflecting the sun's rays, lost to the cosmic killers when its orbit was shifted. Prixel, still civilized, with a civilization millions of years old, its coat of blackness preserved and renewed regularly, more through tradition than fear of enemies in these later degenerate days. Mighty but stagnant civilization, standing still on a world that whizzes like a bullet. And Mickey Mouse. Klarloff, head scientist of a race of scientists, tapped his assistant Bemj on what would have been Bemj's shoulder if he had had one. Look, he said, what approaches Prixel? Obviously artificial propulsion. Bemj looked into the wall plate and then directed a thought wave at the mechanism that jumped the magnification of a thousandfold through an alteration of the electronic field. Bemj looked into the wall plate and then directed a thought wave at the mechanism that jumped the magnification of a thousandfold through an alteration of the electronic field. That image leaped, blurred, then steadied. Fabricated, said Bemj, extremely crude, I must say, primitive explosive-powered rocket. Wait, I'll check where it came from. He took the readings from the dials about the viewplate and hurled them as thoughts against the psychocoil of the computer, then waited while that most complicated of machines digested all the factors and prepared the answer. Then, eagerly, he slid his mind into rapport with its projector. Klarloth, likewise, listened in to the silent broadcast. Exact point on Earth and exact time of departure. Untranslatable expression of curve of trajectory and point on that curve where deflected by gravitational pull of Prixel. The destination, or rather the original intended destination, of the rocket was obvious. Earth's moon. Time and place of arrival on Prixel if present course of rocket was unchanged. Earth, said Klarloth meditatively. They were a long way from rocket travel the last time we checked them. Some sort of a crusade or battle of beliefs going on, wasn't there? Bemj nodded. Catapults. 
bows and arrows. They've taken a long stride since, even if this is only an early experimental thing of a rocket. Shall we destroy it before it gets here? Clarloth shook his head thoughtfully. Let's look it over. Maybe save us a trip to Earth. We can judge their present state of development pretty well from the rocket itself. Uh, but then we'll have to... Of course, call the station. Tell them to train their attractor repulsors on it and to swing it into a temporary orbit until they prepare a landing cradle. And not forget to damp out the explosive before they bring it down. Temporary force field around point of landing, in case? Naturally. So, despite the almost complete absence of atmosphere in which the veins could have functioned, the rocket came down safely, and so softly, that Mitki, in the dark compartment, knew only that the awful noise had stopped. Mitki felt better. He ate some more of the cheese with which the compartment was liberally provided. Then he resumed trying to gnaw a hole in the inch-thick wood with which the compartment was lined. That wooden lining was a kind thought of the Herr Professor for Mitki's mental well-being. He knew that trying to gnaw his way out would give Mitki something to do en route, which would keep him from getting the screaming meanies. The idea had worked. Being busy, Mitki hadn't suffered mentally from his dark confinement. And now that things were quiet, he chewed away more industriously and more happily than ever, sublimely unaware that when he got through the wood, he'd find only metal, which he couldn't chew. But better people than Mitki have found things they couldn't chew. Meanwhile, Klarloth and Bimge and several thousand other Prixillians stood gazing up at the huge rocket which, even lying on its side, towered high over their heads. Some of the younger ones, forgetting the invisible field of force, walked too close and came back, ruefully rubbing bumped heads. Klarloth himself was at the psychograph. There is life inside the rocket, he told Bemj, but the impressions are confused. One creature, but it cannot follow its thought processes. At the moment, it seems to be doing something with its teeth. It could not be an earthling, one of the dominant race. One of them is much larger than this huge rocket. Gigantic creatures, perhaps unable to construct a rocket large enough to hold one of themselves, they said an experimental creature, such as our warafs. I believe you have guessed right, Bemj. Well, when we have explored its mind thoroughly, we may still learn enough to save us a checkup trip to Earth. I am going to open the door. But air... Creatures of Earth would need a heavy, uh, almost a dense atmosphere. It could not live. We retain the force field, of course. It will keep the air in. Obviously, there is a source of supply of air within the rocket, or the creature would not have survived the trip. Klarloth operated controls, and the force field itself put forth invisible pseudopods and turned the outer screw door, then reached within and unlatched the inner door to the compartment itself. All Prixel watched breathlessly as a monstrous gray head pushed out of the huge aperture yawning overhead. Thick whiskers, each as long as the body of a Prixillian. Mitki jumped down and took a forward step that bumped his black nose hard into something that wasn't there. He squeaked and then jumped backwards against the rocket. There was disgust in Benj's face as he looked up at the monster. Obviously much less intelligent than a Wurath, might just as well turn on the ray. Not at all, interrupted Klarloth. You forget certain very obvious facts. The creature is unintelligent, of course, but the subconscious of every animal holds in itself every memory, every impression, every sense image to which it has ever been subjected. If this creature has ever heard the speech of the earthlings or seen any of their works, besides this rocket, every word and every picture is indelibly graven. 
You see now what I mean? Naturally. How stupid of me, Klarloth. Well, one thing is obvious from the rocket itself. We have nothing to fear from the science of Earth for at least a few millennia. So there is no hurry, which is fortunate. For to send back the creature's memory to the time of its birth and to follow each sensory impression in the psychograph will require, well, a time at least equivalent to the age of the creature, whatever that is, plus the time necessary for us to interpret and assimilate each. But that will not be necessary, Bemge. Though? Oh, you mean the X-19 waves? Exactly. Focused upon this creature's brain center, they can, without disturbing his memories, be so delicately adjusted as to increase his intelligence. Now, probably about point zero 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 one in the scale, to the point where he is a reasoning creature. Almost automatically, during the process, he will assimilate his own memories, and understand them just as he would if he had been intelligent at the time he received those impressions. See, Bemch? He will automatically sort out irrelevant data, and will be able to answer our questions. But would you make him as intelligent as... As we? No, the X-19 waves would not work so far. I would say to about point two on the scale. That, judging from the rocket coupled with what we remember of Earthlings from our last trip there, is about their present place on the intelligence scale. Hmm. Um, yes. At that level, he would comprehend his experiences on Earth just sufficiently that he would not be dangerous to us, too. Equal to an intelligent Earthling. Just about right for our purpose. Then shall we teach him our language? Wait, said Klarloth. He studied the psychograph closely for a while. No, I do not think so. He will have a language of his own. I see in his subconscious memories of many long conversations. Strangely, they all seem to be monologues by one person. But he will have a language, a simple one. It would take him a long time, even under treatment, to grasp the concepts of our own method of communication. But we can learn his, while he is under the X-19 machine, in a few minutes. Does he understand now any of that language? Karloth studied the psychograph again. No, I do not believe he... Uh, wait, there is one word that seems to mean something to him. The word Mitki. It seems to be his name, and I believe that, from hearing it many times, he vaguely associates it with himself. And quarters for him, with airlocks and such? Of course, order them built. Five. To say it was a strange experience for Mitki is understatement. Knowledge is a strange thing, even when it is acquired gradually, to have it thrust upon one. And there were little things that had to be straightened out, like the matter of vocal cords. His weren't adapted to the language he now found he knew. Bemsh fixed that. You would hardly call it an operation, because Mitki, even with his new awareness, didn't know what was going on, and he was wide awake at the time. And they didn't explain to Mitki about the J-dimension with which one can get at the inwardness of things without penetrating the outside. They figured things like that weren't in Mitki's line, and anyway, they were more interested in learning from him than teaching him. Bemge and Klarloth and a dozen others deemed worthy of the privilege. If one of them wasn't talking to him, another was. Their questioning helped his own growing understanding. He would not, usually, know that he knew the answer to a question until it was asked. Then he'd piece together, without knowing just how he did it, any more than you or I know how we know things, and give them the answer. Bemge. Is this language which you speak a universal one? And Mitki, even though he'd never thought about it before, had the answer ready. No, it is not. It is English. 
But I remember the Herr Professor speaking of other tongues. I believe he spoke another himself originally, but in American he always spoke English to become more familiar with it. It is a beautiful speech, is it not? Hmm, said Demge. Klarloff. And your race, the Mices, are they treated well? Not by most people, Mitki told him and explained. I would like to do something for them, he added. Look, could I not take back meet me this process which you used upon me? Apply it to other mices and create a race of super mices? Why not? asked Bemge. He saw Klarloff looking at him strangely and threw his mind into rapport with the chief scientists, with Mitki left out of the silent communion. Yes, of course, Bemge told Klarloff. It will lead to trouble on Earth, grave trouble. Two equal classes of beings so dissimilar as mice and men cannot live together in amity. But why should that concern us, other than favorably? The resulted mess will slow down progress on Earth, give us a few more millennia of peace before Earthlings discover we are here, and trouble starts. You know these Earthlings. But you would give them the X-19 waves? They might. No, of course not. But we can explain to Mitki here how to make a very crude and limited machine for them, a primitive one which would suffice for nothing more than the specific task of converting mouse mentality from point zero 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 one to point two, Mitki's own level and that of the bifurcated earthlings. It is possible, communicated Karloff. It is certain that for eons to come they will be incapable of understanding its basic principle. But they could not even use a crude machine to raise their own level of intelligence. You forget, Benj, the basic limitation of the X-19 rays, and no one can possibly design a projector capable of raising any mentality to a point on the scale higher than his own. Not even we. All this, of course, over Mitki's head, in silent Prixilium. More interviews and more. Klarloff again. Mitki, we warn you of one thing. Avoid carelessness with electricity. The new molecular rearrangement of your brain center, it is unstable und... Bemge. Mitki, are you sure your Herr Professor is the most advanced of all who experiment with the rockets? In general, yes, Bemge. There are others who on one specific point, such as explosives, mathematics, astrophysics, may know more, but not much more. Und, for combining these knowledges, he is ahead. It is well, said Bemge. Small gray mouse towering like a dinosaur over tinier half-inch prixillions. Meek, herbivorous creature though he was, Mitki could have killed any one of them with a single bite. But of course, it never occurred to him to do so, nor to them to fear that he might. They turned him inside out mentally. They did a pretty good job of study on him physically too, but that was through the J-dimension, and Mitki didn't even know about it. They found out what made him tick, and they found out everything he knew and some things he didn't even know he knew, and they grew quite fond of him. Mitki, said Klarloth one day, all the civilized races on Earth wear clothing, do they not? Well, if you are to raise the level of mices to men, would it not be witting that you wear clothes too? An excellent idea, Herr Klarloth, and I know just what kind I would like. The Herr Professor once showed me a picture of a mouse painted by the artist Disney. What the mouse for clothing? The mouse was not a real-life one, but an imaginary mouse in a barable. And 
The professor named me after the Disney Mouse. What kind of clothing was it, Mickey? That was on the eve of Mickey's departure. Originally, Bemge had suggested awaiting the moment when Prixel's eccentric orbit would again take it within a 150,000 miles of Earth. But, as Klarloth pointed out, that would be 55 Earth years ahead and Mitki wouldn't last that long. Not unless they and Bemge agreed that they had better not risk sending a secret like that back to Earth. Bright red pants meet two big yellow buttons in front and two in back with yellow shoes for the back feet with a pair of yellow gloves for the front. A hole in the seat of the pants to accommodate the tail. Okay, Mitki, such shall be ready for you in five minutes. So they compromised by refueling Mitki's rocket with something that would cancel out the million and a quarter odd miles he would have to travel. That secret they didn't have to worry about, because the fuel would be gone by the time the rocket landed. Day of Departure we have done our best, Mitki, to set on time the rocket so it will land on or near the spot from which you left Earth. But you cannot expect accuracy in the voyage so long as this. But you will land near. The rest is up to you. We have equipped the rocket ship for every contingency. Thank you, Herr Klarloth, Herr Bemsch. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mitki. We hate to lose you. Goodbye, Mitki. Goodbye. Goodbye. 6. The rocket landed in Long Island Sound, 10 miles out from Bridgeport, about 60 miles from the house of Professor Oberberger near Hartford. They had prepared for a water landing, of course. The rocket went down to the bottom, but before it was more than a few dozen feet under the surface, Mitke opened the door, especially re-equipped to open from the inside, and stepped out. Over his regular clothes, he wore a neat little diving suit that would have protected him at any reasonable depth and which, being lighter than water, brought him to the surface quickly where he was able to open his helmet. He had enough synthetic food to last him for a week, but it wasn't necessary, as things turned out. The night boat from Boston carried him into Bridgeport on its anchor chain, and once in sight of land, he was able to divest himself of the diving suit and let it sink to the bottom after he depunctured the tiny compartments that made it float, as he'd promised Clarloth he would do. Almost instinctively, Mitki knew that he'd do well to avoid human beings until he'd reached Professor Oberberger and told his story. His worst danger proved to be the rats at the wharf where he swam ashore. They were ten times Mitki's size and had teeth that could have taken him apart in two bites. But mind has always triumphed over matter. Mitki pointed an imperious yellow glove and said, Scram! And the rats scrammed. They'd never seen anything like Mitki before, and they were impressed. So, for that matter, was the drunk of whom Mitki inquired the way to Hartford. We mentioned that episode before. That was the only time Mitki tried direct communication with strange human beings. He took, of course, every precaution. He addressed his remarks from a strategic position only inches away from a hole into which he could have popped. But it was the drunk who did the popping, without even waiting to answer Mitki's question. But he got there, finally. He made his way afoot to the north side of town and hid out behind a gas station until he heard a motorist who had pulled in for gasoline inquire the way to Hartford. And Mitki was a stowaway when the car started up. The rest wasn't hard. The calculations of the Prixillians showed that the starting point of the rocket was five miles northwest of what showed on their telescopo maps as a city and which from the professor's conversation Mitki knew would be Hartford. He got there. 7. 
Hello, Professor. The Herr Professor Oberberger looked up, startled. There was no one in sight. What? he asked of the heir. Who is? It is I, Professor, Mitki, the mouse whom you sent to the moon. But I was not there. Instead, I... What? It is impossible. Someone plays the joke. But, but nobody knows about that rocket. When it failed, I didn't tell nobody. Nobody but me knows. And me, Professor. The Herr Professor sighed heavily. Overwork. Oh, I am going what they call badly in the bell. No, Professor. This is really me, Mitki. I can talk now, just like you. You say you can. I do not believe it. Why can I not see you then? Where are you? Why don't you? I am hiding, Professor. In the wall, just behind the big hole. I wanted to be sure everything was okay before I showed myself. Then you would not get excited and throw something at me, maybe. But, Why, Mitki, if it is really you and I am not asleep or going... Why, Mitki, you know better than to think I might do something like that. Okay, Professor. Mitki stepped out of the hole in the wall, and the Professor looked at him and rubbed his eyes and looked again and rubbed his eyes and... I am crazy, he said finally. Red fancy wears yet, and yellow? It cannot be. I am crazy. No, Professor, listen. I'll tell you all about. And Mitki told him. Gray dawn and a small gray mouse is still talking earnestly. But Mitki. Yes, Professor. I see your point. That you think an intelligent race of mice and an intelligent race of men could not get along side by sides. But it would not be side by sides, as I said, there are only a very few people in the smallest continent of Australia. And it would cost little to bring them back and turn over that continent to us mices. We would call it Australia instead of Australia. And we would instead of Sydney call their capital Disney in honor of... But Mitki! But Professor, look what we offer for that continent. All of mices would go there. We civilize a few, and the few help us catch others, and bring them in to put them under the rain machine. And the others help catch more, and build more machines, and it grows like a snowball rolling downhill. And we sign a non-aggression pact meet humans, and stay in Australia, and raise our own food, and... But Mitki. And look what we offer you in exchange, Herr Professor. We will exterminate your worst enemy, the rats. We do not like them either, and... One battalion of 1,000 mice armed with gas masks and small gas bombs could go right in every hole after the rats and could exterminate every rat in a city in one day or two. In the whole world, we could exterminate every last rat in a year and at the same time catch and civilize every mouse and ship him to Australia and... But Mitki! What, Professor? It would work, but it would not work. You could exterminate the rats, yes, but how long would it be before conflicts of interests would lead to the mice trying to exterminate the people, or the people trying to exterminate the... They would not dare, Professor. We would make weapons that would... You see, Mitki? But it would not happen. If men will honor our rights, we will honor... The Herr Professor sighed. I... I will act as your intermediary, Mitki, and offer your proposition, and, well, it is true that getting rid of rats would be a great boon to the human race, but... Thank you, Professor. By the way, Mitki, I have Minnie, your wife, 
I guess it is, unless there was other mices around. She is in the other room. I put her there just before you arrived, so she would be in the dark and you could sleep. You want to see her? Five, said Mitki. It had been so long that he had really forgotten the family he had perforce abandoned. The memory returned slowly. Well, he said, um, yes, we will get her and I shall construct quick a small X-19 projector and... Yes, it will help you in your negotiations meet the governments if there are several of us already so they can see I am not just a freak like they might otherwise suspect. 8. It wasn't deliberate. It couldn't have been. Because the professor didn't know about Klarloff's warning to Mitki about carelessness with electricity. The new molecular rearrangement of your brain center, it is unstable und and the professor was still back in the lighted room, where Mitki ran into the room where Minnie was in her barless cage. She was asleep, and the sight of her, memory of his earlier days, came back like a flash, and suddenly Mitki knew how lonesome he had been. Minnie, he called, forgetting that she could not understand, and stepped up on the board where she lay. Squeak! The mild electrical current between the two strips of tinfoil got him. There was silence for a while. Then, Mitki called the Herr Professor. Come on back, and we will discuss this. He stepped through the doorway and saw them, there in the gray light of dawn. Two small gray mice cuddled happily together. He couldn't tell which was which, because Mitki's teeth had torn off the red and yellow garments, which had suddenly been strange, confining, and obnoxious things. What on earth? asked Professor Oberberger. Then he remembered the current and guessed, Mitki, can you no longer talk? Is the... Silence. Then the professor smiled. Mitki, he said, my little star mouse, I think you are more happier now. He watched them a moment, fondly, then reached down and flipped the switch that broke the electrical barrier. Of course, they didn't know they were free, but when the professor picked them up and placed them carefully on the floor, one ran immediately for the hole in the wall. The other followed, but turned around and looked back, still a trace of puzzlement in the little black eyes, a puzzlement that faded. Goodbye, Mitki. You will be happier this way, and there will always be cheese. Squeak, said the little gray mouse, and it popped into the hole. Goodbye, it might or might not have meant. End of The Star Mouse by Frederick Brown